to be together in this place, uh, the place that has been provided for by the Lord. Every dollar that was needed for this facility and everything connected to it has been gloriously given by Jesus through you. So we rejoice in that. Not, not a need for any indebtedness to this and we have one debt and that is to give honor and glory to Jesus Christ for which we do so we're thankful for that for many of you you're going to give today it's part of your expression of worship to the Lord and we're grateful for your continuous giving Kay and I are doing that as well uh, you can do it online at mbchurch.com forward slash giving or in one of the boxes at the back of the building today and that will be an expression of your worship and praise to the Lord in response to obedience. Now take your Bibles and let's look to John chapter 1. It's where we're going to start today. If you didn't bring your Bible, there's one available for you in one of the seats in front of you. Just grab that Bible up. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. And find the first chapter of John and then uh, we'll move over to Matthew to the left a little bit. We're in a series, a little five-part series about the vision that God has given to us as a church. And our vision is clearly stated. We put it in, in multiple places so that we can use it as the test for which we are doing things. It is Meadowbrook seeks to connect people to Christ and his church and we grow them as disciples to be disciplers. We equip them for service, and that service could be in various ways through missions, ministry, and worship, and we do it unto the glory, all to the glory of Christ our Lord, our God. So we're just working through this, just recognizing those essential things that we're called to be part of, and today I want to focus in on this making disciples section. Now, Jesus never planned or promoted or even participated in an organized big event. Neither he or his disciples ever pasted an advertisement on the columns of any synagogue. They never went to the local bakery and asked if they could put up a flyer in the bakery. And they never announced their, their gatherings or their events at the court of Gentiles at the temple. They didn't rent out an amphitheater. They didn't look for places for conference, a place for worship and preaching. Don't get me wrong, Jesus provided transformation to many people. He introduced them to the kingdom of heaven that he was establishing here on earth. It was a movement that would provide incredible eternal justification for millions of people but he did it primarily by investing in and pouring into a small group of people including men and women very specifically he identified those people and then reduced it down to 12 and invested into them and very primarily into three he was about investing in small numbers of people not about gathering in large groups now I'm not saying that Jesus didn't have large groups gathering he did the crowds often followed him and gathered around him and sometimes those groups were huge swelling into the thousands and those gatherings were large enough to make an evangelist swoon make a politician rattle and make the religious leaders be provoked with jealousy even so Jesus was not focused on the gatherings of crowds 
intently he was focusing on discipling a few and I think if Meadowbrook is going to be successful in our call by Christ we ought to focus in the same way our focus must be like Jesus sure large gatherings are going to occur because people are hungry for truth and they long for genuine love but the most profound ministry occurs as each of us purposefully and successfully disciple a small number of people thoroughly. If we each disciple people so that they could become disciplers, then a great wave of the gospel will transform and sweep over the land. And I know you're thinking like I do, we need a tsunami wave of gospel impact across the land. The way that happens is not by gathering large groups, not by organizing events, not by getting a speaker to come in. It happens from the first century through the 21st century. It happens by people determining that they're going to do ministry like Jesus did ministry and they're going to disciple one or two or five or 12 at a time. Discipling in small numbers. So I want to talk about this gospel movement this movement of disciple making and I want to do it in four steps now I'm not saying that there shouldn't be seven steps or ten steps you're only going to listen to me for four of them so I've just narrowed it down to the four and we're going to look at those steps step number one it includes an introduction a revealing and a seeking of Christ now the narrative of Jesus's ministry in the gospel of John begins with the statement and a question in fact if you're in the first chapter of John you'll see that John makes a statement about Jesus Christ and the same statement is just matter of fact behold the Lamb of God so Jesus has walked up on the scene and John points him out I think he probably did so quite literally behold the Lamb of God what a what a statement that is behold the Lamb of God and then the, uh, we recognize that Jesus, as the Lamb of God, that's not very simple. In fact, that's pretty gloriously complex. Because in order to be the Lamb of God means that you will actually be the perfect and ultimate sacrifice that God requires for all sin to be dealt with at one time. In fact, the writer of Hebrews was so astounded by that. He talked about the generations of priests that would have to make their sacrifices and their sacrifices were made daily morning and evening they were made annually at the the sacrifice for the day of atonement they were made at the Passover they were made throughout the year and they were repetitive even if you had the day of atonement where sins were atoned for you recognize that you would be back at the same time at the same place next year because sins continue but Hebrews was so astounded that there was one as the perfect priest, the perfect lamb combined when he sacrificed himself, it was done and he sat down at the right hand of God the Father never to have another sacrifice made again. Jesus, the lamb of God, was the perfect and the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Now, as you know, sin results in our separation from God. Everyone is a sinner 
unable to stand before God without guilt and without condemnation. Our only hope to stand before God is that he would provide reconciliation for us and he would justify us somehow by his mercy and grace. And that somehow was by sending his one and only son, Jesus, the perfect sinless one, to bear our sin on the cross of Calvary. As the Lamb of God, Jesus pays the death penalty for sins for everyone who would believe in him. The Lamb of God, John points him out. And then to prompt Andrew and John's acknowledgement of the need for a Lamb of God, Jesus asked them a very straightforward question. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? They were seeking the Messiah. They were seeking the king of heaven's kingdom. They were seeking the one who could provide eternal truth and forgiveness and justification. They were seeking the Lord, and they would be willing to follow him if they could find him. In fact, they did find him, and they did follow him. Now, three things were occurring for the first two disciples. The first is that John was pointing out the identity of Jesus, behold the Lamb of God. The second is, Jesus invited the men to discover him. And the third is the men actually took the next step to engage Jesus. Now you can see that in the Bible. I've just mentioned it on the screen behind me. John chapter 1, verse 36. John makes that pointed statement. Behold, the Lamb of God. John's pointing out the identity of Jesus. If you're going to make a disciple, that's where you start. You point out the identity of the Savior. The second is this... this uh, Dialogue with John and Andrew. Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? If you're the Lamb of God, we want to know where you're staying. We want to know more about you. We want to hear from you. They were seeking and willing to engage Jesus in his teaching, and Jesus responds, Come and see. Just come and you will see. And he invited him them to discover him personally. Perhaps you thought that leading someone to Jesus was too difficult. That maybe you don't have enough of the knowledge of the Bible to actually be able to communicate it. But John 1, as well as other passages in the Bible, help us to discover that it is not too difficult. The way of salvation is not too difficult to understand, nor is it too difficult to explain. It could be as simple as just getting together and reading God's word. First, you've got to be willing to point out who Jesus is. That's what John did. Behold the Lamb of God. That's where it, this conversation starts. If you're, going to, if you're going to lead somebody and disciple somebody, you have to identify who Jesus Christ is. And doing his part, Jesus will make himself known. You don't have to worry about that. Jesus will make himself known. By his Spirit, he will draw people to himself. And willing to seek and know the truth, then people can be taught about Jesus. Today, God gives us the understanding about Jesus and salvation through the pages of the Bible. If you want to know about Christ, you'll find it right here in the pages of the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament. And if you want to lead people to know about Christ, you want to disciple them, you draw them to the Scripture. You say, well, I don't know everything about the Scripture. Maybe it's as simple as reading the Scripture. That's what Philip did with the eunuch. Just reading the scripture, asking questions about it, struggling with it, drawing people to know it. That's step number one. Maybe it's a simple statement. Or maybe it's a question. Maybe it's a seeking after Jesus. Step number two. 
to surrender to Jesus, to follow him and live his will. Andrew and John quickly followed through with Jesus that afternoon. It was about four in the afternoon and they headed over to where Jesus was spending the night. No doubt they spent the night listening to him. And they quickly began to tell their brothers to come and meet this one who seems to be the Messiah. They were influencing the ones they loved. Sometime later, Jesus was passing on the Sea of Galilee, walking the shoreline, and he called out to Andrew and his brother Peter, and you know, if you've been a student in the Bible, you know this text well. Follow me, he says. I'll make you fishers of men. They were fishermen by trade, but he wanted to make them eternal fishermen, fish for the souls of people. Follow me, and we'll do that together. A little bit later, he's walking down further in the shoreline, and he connects again, this time with James and John, and he calls out to them the same thing. And immediately, all four of them drop everything that they have and leave everybody behind, and they begin to follow Jesus. Now, all four of those disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, John, immediately left it all and followed Christ. Now, you might have read that before and think, why would they just blindly drop everything that they had and just follow after Jesus? It wasn't blind. Weeks had gone by since they had been introduced to Jesus. They had dialogued with him. They had listened to his teaching. They had watched his life. They were interacting with him. And then later, he's calling them, to the rest of their life to be a follower of his. When asked, they were ready and eager to surrender everything that they had and knew in order to follow Christ Jesus. They forsook their wills and they took up the will of Jesus Christ. Every true disciple is willing to lay it all down. Did you hear that? Every disciple is willing to lay it all down and follow after Jesus if you're thinking Jesus is just going to be a little bit more in your life make life a little bit better you've missed it all together he wants you to lay it all down and follow after him and when you know all that he is and all that he provides and all that he promises you'll be eager to do so what might you be holding on to what is it that you thought you could just cling to? And Jesus says, follow me. Drop what you have. Leave that past behind. Leave that sin behind. Follow me. Follow me. I hope you're willing to do that. If you're a disciple, it's going to be evident that you're willing to do that. To follow after Jesus, to know him to lead others to do so. Step number three, Jesus taught them, he modeled life in righteousness, and he sent the disciples out to minister in his name. Although Jesus often taught in the crowds that gathered around him, he focused primarily his teaching to the disciples. In fact, there are many times in Scripture where he might be speaking to hundreds, if not thousands, and he would often circle back to the disciples and give them a greater understanding. He would make sure that they knew exactly what he was talking about. That was especially true when he was speaking in parables. He wanted those disciples to know the teachings. 
Jesus didn't focus his efforts on teaching the masses. Instead, he concentrated on discipling the people who would multiply and reach the world. You and I need to pause there because much of the dynamics of Christian ministry in the Western culture is all about gathering crowds. It's about the big events. And that is not where Jesus was. Jesus concentrated on the small numbers of people who would multiply that ministry and reach the world. I'm interested in people coming to this place for we're going to sing truth and we're going to proclaim truth and we are going to love each other. But the greatest ministry of Meadowbrook does not happen in this room. The greatest ministry of Meadowbrook happens when we leave this room and we have impact on other people. Let's do that with intentionality. Jesus is the perfect one to give us the model. You might have an imagery in your mind of Jesus, the itinerant preacher and the guest synagogue speaker, and he was. But the 12 were often taught lessons by just living life with Christ. Day and night being together, together they witnessed Jesus handle difficult people, they watched him expose untruths and unbeliefs. They saw him as he was confronted by evil, and as he confronted evil, they saw him live life with limited resources. They saw him interact with sick and desperate people. They saw him as he was living in a land that was occupied by brutal forces, and they engaged him in that way. The more intense lessons, no doubt, were not when he was upstanding speaking to them, but when they were around a fire at night or gathered around an evening meal or maybe when they were walking village to village or maybe when the routines of life were difficult, like they walked in and disrupted a funeral. I say disrupted because often people didn't stay dead when Jesus was attending a funeral. It's pretty amazing. Discipleship wasn't a course given on a specific day at a specific time. It was purposefully living together and seeing things through the lens of God's word. That's what Jesus was doing. He was helping them to know the word of God and see the world through the word of God. For many of us, that's where we ought to be. How do we engage people to see the world through the word of God? It's what life group does. Life group is not about sharing a lesson for 45 minutes to an hour. It's not about just gathering together and have a cup of coffee. Life group is about living life together. It's about living in the good times, in the rough times, in the disappointing times, and in the happy, joyous times. It's, it's living life together and living that life through the lens of Scripture. You'll do well, and I'll do well if we'll engage our coworkers that way and our friends and our neighbors, our family, our teammates. When we just talk about God, his word, and about what Jesus is doing and see things through the filter of scripture and help people to see with clarity in that way. That's what Jesus was doing. The greater part of his discipling was that. It's a good practice for us to be very purposeful to live life together for discipleship. It's what dads and moms and grandparents and brothers and sisters are called to do. 
So it's this way with the 12. But it's not just listening and teaching. It's about doing. It's taking those things and applying them. And you'll, you'll find in the scripture where Jesus would bring the 12 and he would pair them up and he would send them out, empowering them by his spirit. One time he did that to 70 or 72. He broke them up in pairs and commissioned them to go out. Don't take a bunch of stuff with you. You're not going to need it. The Spirit of God is going to care for you, and he will empower you. You remember those times that are written about in Scripture? And man, when they came back, they were filled with joy, the Bible says. They were just overwhelmed at the ministry that they had been part of. In fact, Luke describes that for us. When they came back, they said, in joy, they said to Jesus, even the demons, even they come under submission when we do ministry in your name. It's an interesting take on ministry, isn't it? There's a lot of times that Jesus was engaged in very difficult days, days that were filled with frustration and sorrow and righteous indignation and exhaustion. And he demonstrated multiple emotions through those things. Oftentimes, the scripture says on three different occasions that Jesus actually wept in the middle of those times. But Jesus was also filled with joy. And we know that he was filled with joy because he could actually leave joy with his followers. But there's one passage in Luke where Jesus is said to be full of joy. That he was rejoicing. To be rejoicing means that you have so much joy that it is just overflowing in your life. Only one time in scripture does it describe Jesus as being overflowing with joy. And you know when that is? It's when the 70 or 72 have been commissioned out and they return. They're filled with joy that such ministry took place. And the Bible says that Jesus was full of joy in that moment. And you know why? Because all of his ministry was coming to fruition. All those three years of just investing in and pouring into those people, modeling ministry to them, empowering them, giving them God's word, all of that was coming to bear as they were sent out. They could actually do ministry in his name. That was the beginning of a worldwide transformation. And that brought joy to Jesus. That helps us to identify that if you and I will disciple others with the empowerment of the Spirit, with the Word of God, then not only will we be full of joy, but Jesus will be joy-filled as well. Number four. Jesus commissioned and empowered the disciples to be disciple-makers, now, it's not by accident that the Great Commission is the echoing words, last words, of Jesus spoken on earth. The Great Commission reflects the cumulative effort of Christ in his redemptive ministry. And we need to understand the ascension of Jesus to heaven is not the conclusion of his mission. It is the beginning of his mission. His mission was not just to die, resurrect, and ascend. His mission was to die, resurrect, ascend, and then impart that ministry of good news through his followers who would mobilize it throughout the corners of the earth that the world might know that Jesus saves. And that's what our call is. 
that we would be disciples who disciple. So Jesus promised his disciples in John 14, then later in John 16, that when he returned to heaven, the Spirit of God would come. His Spirit would come and indwell them. He would be the helper, and he would dwell with his followers forever. So Jesus' redemption ministry is available to all nations and all peoples, and his followers are empowered by the Spirit of God to be the distributors of that good news. As disciples of Jesus, our call is to disciple people so that they too might become disciple makers. The Lord calls us to have faith, to receive the gospel, to surrender to Christ, to repent of our sins, to be baptized, to be obedient in our walk but that's not the end it's just the beginning with grace we have received and with grace we share the gospel of Christ we disciple people under the power of the Holy Spirit and that makes us joy filled and the Christ joy filled as well here's the words that Jesus gave to us he said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The gospel is a rhythm. It's sort of like the tide. The tide has to come in and the tide has to go out. The gospel is rhythmic, like breathing. Breathing is breathing in and exhaling out. You can't do one without the other and be breathing. And the gospel is like that. The gospel is to be received and the gospel is to be shared. We can't do one without the other. It's meant to be a rhythm. And Jesus is helping us to understand here in the Great Commission that this rhythm of breathing in grace and exhaling grace, of receiving grace and sharing grace, that that rhythm is to be part of who we are and that we will be empowered to have that rhythm in life. So the gospel beckons us to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's what we do, it's who we are. You might be saying, well, what exactly does that look like? Well, it's everything I've already shared with you. It is somebody introducing you to Jesus. For me, it was back in the 1970s. Hearing the message of Christ be proclaimed from a podium. And me coming to understand my need of the gospel. It's somebody like John pointing out who Jesus is. If you're going to be a disciple, somebody is pointing out who Jesus is in your, to your life. And it's Jesus revealing himself by the Bible and through the Holy Spirit. You can count that Jesus is making sure that he is being identified. If you're here today and you're not in relationship with Jesus, he's been pointed out to you today. The Messiah is Jesus. The one who can save you is Jesus. The one who can rectify your life is Jesus. The one who can remove your sin is Jesus. The one who can justify you before a holy God is Jesus. The gospel is recognizing that. Secondly, the gospel, being a disciple of Christ in the gospel, is to be called like the disciples. Follow me. It's calling to surrender our lives to him and following him. 
laying down everything and following after him a, a word that we often use is repent that's exactly what that is it's laying it all down and following after Jesus it's turning away from what we were doing it's turning to what Jesus is doing and it's reading and hearing the Bible being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and living Christ-like and doing Christ-like mission and ministry in his name it's what it is to be a disciple and disciples become disciplers it's active just like Christ being a disciple we grow in our knowledge of God and his word we grow in faith we grow in practice but it doesn't end there does it it's living as disciples of Christ God empowering us commissioning us to go out and make disciples who they who they in turn will become disciplers it's a rhythm so where are you in those steps in becoming a disciple or making disciples where are you in that look back in your handout for a moment and just look through the steps they're listed for you in the handout why don't you identify where you are in those steps of disciple making some of you are right there at the first step and the Lord is calling out to you to be saved He's calling out to you to know who the Messiah is. It's Christ the Lord, Jesus himself, identified in the Bible. He's calling out to you to know who he is and surrender your life to him and to follow after him. That's the first step, and some of you are right there. I'm going to invite you to take that next step to trust Jesus as your Savior to not put it off any longer, to not try to clamor for works of good things any longer, to just rest and trust that Jesus alone can save you, bring you into right relationship with God. Trust him. Others of you might be in that next place. You're growing as a disciple, and now you recognize in your growing as a disciple, it's time to minister in the name of Jesus. And it's time to no longer just be in the introduction of Christianity, but be active in your Christianity and engage in ministry. I want to invite you to take that next step, to take the step of faith that Christ has an assignment for you, Christ is empowering you, and if you'll step forward, you can be filled with joy in that gospel ministry. Number three, maybe that's where you find yourself actively discipling others for multiplication or maybe that's where you need to step to can you identify anybody in your life that you are actively discipling anybody at work that you begin sharing who Jesus is anybody at work that you begin reading the scripture with anybody having spiritual dialogue with because you're intentional about it anybody at school that you've brought in and said would you allow me to just spend some time sharing about Jesus could we spend some time reading God's word together maybe it's a neighbor you go knock on the door hey I've been wanting to have a Bible study with somebody I'm not one that knows everything there is about the Bible but maybe we could read it together would you be interested in that us getting together to do that who are you discipling if you can't think of anybody that's the place where you ought to be maybe there's steps to take prior to that but that's where you're moving towards because that's what disciples do they disciple so that others might be discipled to become disciples, uh, disciplers. I don't know how else to ask this, but to be straightforward. 
Are you stagnant? I regret to tell you that there were many seasons in my life I was just stagnant. Just comfortable hanging around Jesus, comfortable hanging around his worship, but then going about my fishing, doing what I wanted to do, doing what I knew was comfortable. But then Jesus, like he's walking on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, came and said, hey, I want you to be a fisherman of men. Drop everything you have, Randy. Drop it all and follow me. Oh, what a life that is. Okay, you're nervous. You don't know where it's going to lead. Well, how about this? It'll lead to glory. How about this? It'll lead to eternal reward. How about this? It'll be you and Jesus side by side. You can't go wrong with that. And take that step. Take the next step. Invite somebody into a discipling relationship. Are you stagnant? Or are you eagerly walking as a disciple? Spending time with Jesus in his word. Spending time in prayer and worship. Inviting others to join you in that. Oh, let me just encourage you. Keep walking. Keep taking those steps of faith. Keep doing what you're doing. You're making an impact. And although the enemy is probably whispering to you, it doesn't matter. You're not making much of an influence to your family. Your friends are not moving in your direction. Listen to me. God's word will never return to him void. You're hitting a mark. You're hitting a mark. Just keep going. Just keep doing it. Sometimes you just have to keep plowing. Keep fighting those weeds before the harvest comes. Keep going. Now, as we sing our final song, it'll be a time for us to respond. Maybe you've heard the voice of our Lord by his spirit through his word. You've sensed the challenge, and it's time for you to move forward. Take that next step. I'll have some guys standing down front ready to pray with you and encourage you as you're making that decision. Why don't you share it with us? A commitment that I share is a commitment that I'm more apt to keep. Why don't you share it with us? Let us pray with you and encourage you. We might share ours with you as well. Or you can take out your phone and today text MB Next Step to the number 33222. And somebody on our staff will respond back to you. Sometime today, we'll respond back to you. And we can have that encouraging conversation. Now, if you're here without Jesus, he has revealed himself to you today. Please don't leave this room without putting your trust and faith in him. Don't leave this room without us encouraging you in that decision. I'm asking you to be confident enough in Christ while we're singing, step into the aisles and move forward and tell somebody who's standing before you, I'm trusting Jesus today. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the perfect gospel. We thank you for Jesus, the Lamb of God, who alone can take away the sins that we have committed. We thank you that his work is justifying those who will move in faith, and we pray, Lord, that this would be the day of salvation for many. For others, we pray that the next step and disciple-making would be initiated. We've heard your voice. We've heard your challenge. We've seen it 
in your word and now we sense the prompting of your spirit let us not hold on to anything but drop it all and follow after you and may you fill us with joy may Jesus be joy filled because his followers are following after him make us disciples of men and women boys and girls I pray in the name of Jesus